Be seated. Good morning again, church. Good morning again, church. All right, there we go. It's good to be with you today. I'm thankful again that you're here. Uh, I just I want to just say, in case you're wondering, I said just a moment ago that Randy Melvin was going to come up and get uh, lead us in our communion time. That was not Randy. In case you're wondering if he did some Benjamin Button time reversal thing or his he got younger or something. Uh, great job, Jacob, and thank you for sharing those thoughts. I, Randy told me that he was going to have Jacob do that, and then I just I spoke wrong. So um, thankful for that that time to share in communion. I have a couple of things I want to mention. Uh, just by kind of in the way of kind of family matters that I want to mention. One is I want to make sure that you're aware of a new family that's been with us for a couple of months now that are have been recruited to sit over in this front section. Tim and Raleene and I have been working hard to try to recruit people to come to our section. Alan and Bethany and the Melvins have been successful in getting Jason and Aaron Davis and their family to sit over here. Jason and Aaron have two awesome kids, Molly and Nelson, who I think are with grandparents this weekend. Uh, but they want to formally be recognized as a part of our church. So will you welcome them with me? Um, They have jumped in and gotten involved. Uh, Some of you may have uh, seen on this side of the building over here, there's a a little room that says uh, Aaron Davis Marriage and Family Therapy, I think is what it says. Aaron is also renting a part of that, the building, and do it. she's a marriage and family therapist and is doing uh, her practice there and some online and all that. So anyway, we're really thankful that Jason and Aaron are here. They've uh, been dear friends to us and our family and, and have already, as I said, jumped in. So in just a minute, we're going to pray, and if you're near them or want to go over there near them and put a hand on them, you can do that. I also, before we pray, though, I want to mention, I want to just take a moment to acknowledge, and they aren't together, sitting together this morning, but... A year ago this weekend, Andrew and Bailey Raymond came to interview for our youth ministry job, and so it's not quite a year that they've actually been here, but it's been a year since we got to know them, and, uh, and we want to just recognize that, the blessing that they have been, and so Bailey is here. Andrew is actually working in the sound booth today, um, but if some of you are near Bailey or Andrew and want to surround them, we can do that as well. So would you stand with me? We're going to pray and recognize, and we didn't give Andrew and Bailey a hand, so let's do that too while we're... <clears throat> we'll start with a prayer and then uh, jump into our sermon. So thank you guys for doing, doing that. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for the community that we share with one another and the life that we get to live together. And we want to just take a moment and especially recognize uh, just gratitude that you're bringing new people into this family. We're thankful for Jason and Aaron and for Molly and Nelson and their, uh, their presence with us, their desire to journey with us. We are excited about the ways you'll use their gifts uh, to make us a better church. And uh, we're thankful for um, their presence with us, God, and their desire to be with us. And we pray that our hands upon them this morning will just affirm and encourage them, our love for them and our appreciation for them. And I pray also, God, just a a prayer of gratitude for Andrew and for Bailey and for um, you bringing them here. Uh, We know that um, you have worked good through that. We've seen that in in the the many ways that they have blessed this church already in just a a few months, really. And um, I'm thankful for them. I pray that you'll continue to bless them, bless their marriage, their ministry here among us. And uh, we just want to give you praise and recognition and honor. Uh, for the good things that they have brought already to make us a better church. And we pray 
again, that our hands upon them this morning will just affirm our love for them, that they'll know that uh, we love them and care about them and are grateful to be on the journey with them and excited about the things you'll continue to do through uh, their time here with us in Kaufman, in Kaufman County. Father, we love you and we're grateful for the, the privilege that we get to have to, to be together today and uh, pray that as we open your word that you will uh, use it to speak to our hearts and that you'll open our eyes and our ears so that we can see and hear all that you want us to see and hear. We pray through Jesus' name who is alive and the church said amen. You, thank you guys. Y'all can have a seat. <clears throat> we're going to be in John chapter 21 together in just a minute if you want to be finding a Bible, you can find a Bible and uh, turn to John 21. Last week, we started a series on Easter Sunday that I am calling Alive, and we're going to continue that today and for the next several weeks. And, and this series is really a sermon series that's designed to help us kind of sit with the resurrection story. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes it feels like we do Easter Sunday really well. It's an incredible day. There's lots of guests that always come and are a part of that. And then we can rush past the resurrection story, rush past the Easter story onto other things. And so I, I was, as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, I want to I do something around Easter that kind of helps us sit a little while with the resurrection story and not, not rush past it, just linger a little while. But I want to clarify because we're not going to really linger at the empty tomb. We're not going to stay there and continue looking at those stories as much. What I want us to do for the next several weeks is really kind of linger and, and wander around in some of the other stories around the resurrection. Uh, some of the stories where we see the lives of people who are changed because of the fact that the tomb is empty. And so before we, and one of those is in John chapter 21, but before we jump to John 21, I actually want to back up and I want to give us a little bit of a backstory and kind of a replay of the events that lead up to what we're going to read together here in just a minute. So on the night that Jesus was arrested and taken from the garden to go to trial, Peter and John, John the book of the Gospel of John tells us, follow Jesus after his arrest to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And the high priest's courtyard that night was filled with people. And so there were people everywhere, and as John and Peter are packed into this courtyard, gathered with these other people that had come to see this unfair trial that Jesus has been brought to. They come to see it all play out, the drama play out. That's when it happened. Peter denies Jesus, not once and not twice, but three times. And it's interesting because we all know about Peter when things are going well. Peter is walking on water. He's catching large amounts of fish. He's getting a front row seat to the unbelievable things that Jesus has done, like feeding large crowds of people. Peter's all in in those moments. But in the most difficult moment, Jesus dies on the cross. He's arrested. When he's asked if he's a disciple of Jesus by people in the crowd of that courtyard that night, he says, I am not a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he denies Jesus those three times. And what's interesting and important about this story that plays out is that John was there at Peter's lowest moment. John is a friend of Peter's. They've journeyed together. They've been fishermen together. They've known each other for a long time. And John is there to witness this moment that is Peter's lowest moment. And he would write the gospel story that we're going to read today sometime later when he's an older man, when John is an older man. 
But he still remembers, you're going to notice, so many of the details of the, of, of the events of that night. And one of the details that he gives us about that scene is that it was a cold night. It was a cold night, the night that Peter denied Jesus. And some of the servants and officials had made a fire to keep warm. This is what John 18, 18 says about that moment. It says, it was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing there warming himself. And, and this would feel like maybe just a really insignificant verse, just a detail sort of in the story of this event that's unfolding where Peter is denying Jesus. But John includes a detail in this part of the story that's really important that we miss, honestly, in English, translated into English. Uh, we miss just sort of reading the story kind of quickly. But the powerful thing is, is about the way that John tells the story. And the word that John uses to describe the fire is one word in Greek, anthrakia which just literally means bed of hot coals. It's a, a fire that it was big and burning, and it's kind of burned down, and it's just some hot coals at this point. And it's the kind of fire you build to stay warm. It's the kind of fire on that night that Peter, where he, he's standing when he denies Jesus, as a, he's deni he denies he's a disciple. He denies that he's connected to Jesus in any way, or he's friends with him in any way. And after he denies Jesus, a third time, the rooster crows. And this detail of this story about this fire is going to come up in the story that we're going to read together in just a minute. And so I want to make sure you're alert to it and paying attention to it. After Peter denies Jesus, he goes outside and begins to weep about what he's done. And that's the backstory about what happened before what we're going to read today. So we fast forward now, and now Jesus is alive. He's out of the tomb. And Peter, you can imagine, he's, he's still thinking about this event, right? He's excited that Jesus is alive, but he also is very aware that he has denied Jesus Christ, denied that he knew him or that he was connected to him in any way. And there's this thing that still hasn't been dealt with. There's this awareness that he denied Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had tension. I, I'm going to assume that you have had some tension with people in your life, in a relationship with someone in your life. And you have this tension, and you know and they know that there's something that needs to be resolved. But it hasn't been resolved. And you're not sure what to do, and they're not sure what to do. And maybe you're avoiding them, and they're certainly avoiding you. And you've done pretty well avoiding each other, right? Am I, am I talking to anybody yet this morning? You've done pretty well avoiding each other, but then you show up in the same place. And now you can't avoid it anymore. You know what I'm talking about? And if you can relate to that feeling that I'm describing, you know what Peter feels like in this moment. He's excited that Jesus is alive, but not even the resurrection can get rid of this memory. I imagine Peter wondering, where do I stand exactly with Jesus today? He isn't sure. He's ashamed. He's disappointed in himself. And he has this lingering question, this lingering feeling that things are not quite settled. I imagine Peter asking questions in his mind like, will Jesus bring up the fact that I denied him first, or am I going to have to say something to him? Or maybe, maybe this one will be really great, Peter imagines, maybe Jesus would just let it go, and we're all going to pretend like nothing ever happened, and we'll just get to move on. That would be great, Peter imagines to himself. Something needs to be said, and you know that he's wondering about this. 
And so as Jesus has instructed after he was raised from the dead, the disciples have left Jerusalem and they have returned to Galilee. What, to do what? What were they doing? We don't really know. We know mostly waiting on Jesus, which is not something Peter was very good at, waiting for anything. So finally, after the disciples are waiting for Jesus, they've gone to Galilee like Jesus told them to do. Peter cannot stand it anymore, and he, said, he gets up and finally says, I'm going fishing. And going back to do the thing that he had always been doing. And he and six other fishermen disciples go with him. And this is, this is where we're picking up in the story. Let's read together, beginning in John, 1, John 21, verse 1. John says, Afterward, Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large amount of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John's way of describing himself, kind of arrogant and funny in a weird way, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for Peter had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciple followed in the boat. Towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 to be exact, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, next slide, Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so picture this scene. The disciples are out there fishing and they don't know who this guy is, but from a hundred yards away, a football field away, they hear him call from shore, have you caught any fish? They'd spent the entire night fishing and they've caught nothing, which didn't happen very often because Peter is a professional fisherman. He knows how to catch fish. This is what he does. It had happened once before, though, three years earlier to be exact. On the night before, Jesus called Peter to be one of his disciples originally. And then he, he tells them to throw on that night, to throw their net on the other side, and they catch fish, and this same thing happens here. And so they do it, and sure enough, there were so many fish they can't haul the net in. And that, in that moment, as John tells the story, is the moment that it clicks for him. This is Jesus. And so he tells him, and Peter, who apparently had stripped down to his underwear while out on the boat with his friends, throws on some outer clothing and takes off swimming toward Jesus because he's 100 yards away. And you can't help but wonder as he's swimming toward Jesus if he remembers or recalls that he once walked on this water toward Jesus. And what do they do when they find, what do they find when they get to the shore? They find a bed of hot coals, an anthracia, 
The only other time, which is how you know it's intentional, the only other time that that word is used in the New Testament is in this story. The other time was the time when Peter denied Jesus in that courtyard. It's almost like Jesus is recreating the scene of the crime. The scene from the high priest's courtyard that night when Peter denied he ever knew who Jesus was. And so they share a meal of bread and fish on the shore. And John gives us one more conversation that takes place after they eat. Let's pick up in verse 15. He says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And a third time he said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and went, at, went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Three times Peter denies Jesus. And three times Jesus calls Peter to affirm his love for him. And so what is going on in this story and what can we learn from it? For Jews, it's important to know that when Jews thought about resurrection, they thought for always, for their, their whole history, they had always thought that resurrection had something to do with the next life, something that happened after this life. It was something that happened after you were dead and buried and found yourself with God for all eternity. That, you, that This is how they would have grown up. These disciples who were Jews would have all grown up thinking about resurrection in this way. And this is important. And if you've ever heard me preach a funeral, you've, ever, you've heard me preach much at all, you have heard me talk a lot about this idea. And that is this, that one, the, one of the things that resurrection means, and the way that I often say it, is that death no longer has the final word over our lives. And what I, what I mean by that is that because Jesus was raised from the dead, we will be raised from the dead. So that even though we die, we will not die. That there is more to this life than this life. Right? And again, for many of you who have heard me talk about, talk about Jesus at all, heard me preach funerals, it's not a new idea for you. I believe that the resurrection is deeply foundational to our faith, and I don't think we can talk about it enough, quite honestly. But today, and really for the rest of this sermon series, I want you to hear me say something else about resurrection. Something that's not, I believe that it, all, it means that death does not have the final word over our lives. But I want you to hear me say something else about resurrection, and that is this. That the resurrection is about more than eternal life. The resurrection is about God changing people's lives now. Resurrection is about God changing people's lives now so that they live even while they are alive. So that we live, church, even while we are alive. And as I mentioned, these 
These disciples, their entire lives, they would have thought resurrection had to do with something that happened in the next life. But the problem is, now, Jesus' resurrection has taken place on earth. And so they are baffled. Because Jesus isn't gone, he's there eating fish and bread with them for breakfast on the shore by the Sea of Galilee. These guys are walking the same roads that they had previously walked. They are not gone from earth. They're fishing in their old boats. And this is part of why I think they're processing who Jesus is. And and when they see him in person, they're trying to make sense of what is going on. It seems obvious to us on this side of the resurrection what's going on, but they would have been processing it and somewhat confused. And after several days, John tells us this is the third time that Jesus had appeared to him. So he's appearing some, and then he'll seem to go away for a while, and then he makes another appearance. And that's sort of the way that it happens with Jesus after his resurrection. And after several days of seeing Jesus on earth, it's like they begin to understand that the resurrection doesn't just have to do with what happens later. It also must have something to do with what happens with our lives right now. And I think that is part of what we see in this story. I think this story is Peter's resurrection story. Peter has gone through, if you think about what we've just talked about, his own death, burial, and resurrection experience at the same time on a very parallel timeline, interestingly, that Jesus is going through his own death, burial, and resurrection story. Three denials from Peter, three questions from Jesus, three days Jesus in the tomb, And now Peter is starting to see that Jesus Jesus really is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And that means Peter's sin, and that means your sin, and that means my sin. And this journey for Peter involves pain and tears and heartache and confusion and questions about himself, about God, about everything he's ever known, about resurrection and what it means. But all of that is necessary in order for Jesus to launch Peter into what he has ahead for him. And what is ahead for Peter, which might not be exactly what's ahead for you, but what's ahead for Peter is feeding Jesus' sheep, caring for Jesus' lambs, leading and caring for his church. Peter would become one of the most significant people to begin launching the church after Jesus returns back to God's right hand. And what was ahead for him was leading the church, which is what Jesus is saying when he says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, care for these people. But before Jesus could give Peter the keys to the kingdom of God, Peter's pride had to be stripped away. Peter needed to have his eyes opened to see that it was God's power that was going to do this work and not his power. It was God's power that was going to lead him into the future and not his own power and strength. How can he lead people if he hasn't gone through his own journey, through his own death and resurrection? How can we lead people if we have not walked a similar journey? And if I can be honest with you for just a minute about myself and about us and about people in our world, our challenge, the the human's challenge, is that we want the resurrection part of the story. We like the resurrection part of the story without the death part of the story. That's not an idea we really want to amen, but I hope in your heart you're saying amen. We like the resurrection without the death. If we could get the resurrection without the death first, that would be really ideal for us, without parts of our lives having to die. But that isn't the way it works, friends. 
Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 16. He says to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. That's death and resurrection. You hear the language. What good would it be for anyone to gain the whole world, to get everything they ever want, but to actually lose in the end? What he's saying here is that we have to die first before life can come bursting forth. This is what take up your cross and follow me means. And death for all of us may mean different things. It might involve letting go of some things in your life, anger or addiction of some kind, letting those things die so that you can truly live. Death might involve surrendering your pride, your selfishness, your worry, your fear about the future and what's going to happen down the road. It might mean surrendering your identity to Jesus Christ. And I believe that Jesus hears those, us acknowledge those things, surrender those things. Jesus sees those things in our lives and he says, I want that. I'm taking it with me to the grave. It might involve you rethinking how you spend your time and your money and your energy. It might involve you rethinking your reactions to people that have done you wrong, letting go of some of the unforgiveness that you're harboring in your heart. Jesus says, I want all of those things because I'm taking them to the grave with me so that they don't have to reign and rule over your life anymore. And the truth is that if we claim Jesus as Lord, there are going to be parts of us that have to die. This is part of the package deal that comes with following Jesus Christ. And, and it's, at first, it sounds like a sacrifice. And what Jesus wants us to hear is that it's, it is a small sacrifice, but it's the, the reward on the other side is greater than the sacrifice itself. And there are small ways, hundreds and thousands of small ways we can choose to die every day of our lives. I recently heard a, guy, a quote by a guy named David Foster Wallace that said it this way. He said, the truth will set you free, but not until it is finished with you. And I like that. In John 8, what he's, what he's referencing is that in John 8, Jesus said he is the way and the truth and the life. And what Wallace is saying is, yes, Jesus is the truth. But this isn't just something that you accept one time. We don't just accept Jesus as the truth one time. It's our formation, our, our resurrection is an ongoing process. So that little parts of us may have to be surrendered or die, to use, I'm using the same, two different words but the same idea, right? If we give something up, if I give my pride up so that God can use me in a different way, I'm, let, I'm surrendering that to God and I'm also letting it die. And that's going to be an ongoing process. And Jesus isn't going to give up on you until your life is finished. Because resurrection is about changing lives, not just after the grave, but now. And part of the way that this happens is that Jesus shows up in our lowest moments, like he did for Peter. So that our lowest moments are not our final moments. He makes a fire of hot coals and he invites us to breakfast. And there he says to us, I am not through with any of you yet. Do you love me? Jesus asks us. And we say in agreement with Peter, yes, Lord, you know all things. We, you know we love you. 
And then Jesus offers a word for us. Jesus doesn't just accept this love that Peter affirms, but he also gives him a responsibility. And I think our responsibility is probably different than Peter's. Peter's to Peter, he says, feed my sheep, lead my people, care for my people. Make your life less about yourself is essentially what he's saying, which might also be the same word that he gives to us. Die so that resurrection can happen. Death so that resurrection can happen. And some of us need to hear this morning that God is not through with you yet. God is not finished. That the truth will set you free, but not until it is finished with you. And that, is, that might be a hard and painful process as we surrender parts of us that have had a hold of us for a really long time. Some of us may need to hear that God is not through with you or your circumstances, that there's something that's going on, and what you need to hear is that there is more life ahead. And that Jesus wants to put you back in the game, which is what he's doing with Peter, and say, follow me, don't give up. There's still a road to walk ahead. That's the invitation this morning, to follow Jesus and to find what resurrection, find out what resurrection is actually all about, that it is about the empty tomb, it is about the fact that death does not get the last word over our lives, but it is also about life right now and life to the full, life that is better than the life that we could create for ourselves by working hard and earning lots of money and being successful and having lots of friends and getting to do all the greatest vacations we want to have and whatever it is like that you think your greatest life is, Jesus says, what good is it? For you to chase all that stuff but not actually live, right? But you won't actually taste that until we won't actually taste that. I won't actually taste that until we, like Peter, can die and be raised now so that we can live into this resurrection story. That's the invitation. To follow Jesus and find out what resurrection is really all about. To come to see. To come to understand that Resurrection is about death being defeated, and it is about the power to change our lives right now, taking those parts of our lives that need to die so that we can truly live even while we are alive. Let's pray. Father, we, we are grateful that you don't give up on us, that your love never lets go, that we continue uh, to find that you pursue us. We're grateful for stories like this where you're, you're showing up on the shore before Peter even steps out of the boat, ready to make sure that he sees you and knows that you're not finished with him yet. And God, I pray that this morning that you will stir in our hearts just an awareness and an appreciation for this reality, this truth, that you are not finished with any of us, that there is still road ahead, life ahead, things to do ahead that you are calling us to, you're inviting us to, and that some of those things might involve some death happening in us, some letting go and some surrendering of some things that we've been holding on to a really long time because they make us comfortable or they're familiar or we think they're best, but we know they're not. And I pray this morning, God, that you will, your spirit will do the work of stirring up in our hearts just an awareness of of this promise that you're continuing to work, that resurrection is an ongoing process. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for that good news, that resurrection has something to do with life right now on this side of our death.
And God, I pray that you will continue to work in us as we think about and linger around the stories of resurrection and see the ways over the next several weeks that your resurrection really is so foundational for what we, who we are and what we are intended to be in this world. We thank you, Father, for your love. And we pray this morning that you will hear us say, joining our hearts with Peter, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing one more song.